Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm going to read God's Word for us. So if you want to open up your booklets to page 21, um, we're going to be reading Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verses 10 to 23. Starting at verse 10. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Thanks, Kate. Two last books to commend to you, and if you don't have time or resources to purchase them today... Uh, they are books that you can buy later. Revolutionary Work and Revolutionary Sex. Both written by a brother named William Taylor, who has spoken uh, in Australia at uh, several occasions uh, at our national training event and in other places around the country. He's a terrific exegete of the Bible. And he thinks God's thoughts after him well. And these two books in those two areas that we explored in sub some detail uh, over the course of the week has been um, something that he has thought about well from the scriptures and I commend these books to you and anything written by William Taylor I think is always worth selling your shirt for but not your uni bible group shirt not that one as we come to our last portion of God's word that we're going to look at together in this setting let's come before God in prayer we thank you again Dear Father, for this week, for the sheer privilege it is to have known you that little more as our Father, 
who sovereignly and lovingly leads us in accordance with your will and pleasure in your word. So please, Father, as we come to this last time together in this corporate setting, so speak to us, we pray, and keep working in us by your Spirit to grow us in the likeness of Jesus. And we pray this for his sake. Amen. Well, our prayer for you this week is for you to have found your way. Have you found your way? For some of us, this week has been a discovery that Jesus isn't actually the pulsating center of our lives. And that you know that you need to repent. Praise God if that has happened to you this week. For others of you, it's been a challenging time to consider how you should walk differently, how you should live your life differently, how you should change your, your sex life and your speech life especially. Well, praise God if that has been the case for you. For others, it's been a wonderful discovery that God's word is all that we need for life and godliness. And all the principles to make decisions are there in his word. Again, praise God, if that's been a discovery for you, then that's been the supernatural work of his spirit in you. For others, it's been compelling to consider serving God in full-time vocational ministry. Perhaps taking up a ministry apprenticeship with MTS. Can I remind you again of our challenge day on the 4th of August? I hope it's in your diaries that you can attend. So please note that. It's at the back of your booklet. It's from 9am to 1pm on Saturday the 4th of August. We really have a feast of people who can be there to meet with you one-to-one, -to, -one, to talk through the issues together and to see how it is that the possibility might be entertained prayerfully to serve him full-time. And for most of us, this week has been, well, a mountaintop kind of experience. I thought I heard drums at about 1am this morning, and I've been told it was the case. <laughs> some of you stayed up for a little while longer. Some of you actually tried to stay up all night, I understand. And it's because it's been a mountaintop experience, isn't it? Because you've actually enjoyed spending time here. It's been a real high, hasn't it? And I don't know about you, but I remember when I went to my first MYC, it was such a high that I, when I left the conference, two days later, I went through the post-MYC blues. And I remember looking at my watch thinking, oh, I'd be doing manuscript discovery now. Oh. And I think, oh, I'll be having lunch with so-and-so now. Oh, and I'll be playing you know, the photo hunt now, and whatever it is. Know it with Chloe at that time, or whatever it is that we're doing. <laughs> I, I, all that we'd be, we'd be at that time thinking, "Oh, I wish I was that." And but and you just you just leave the conference. Everything's just so wonderful, isn't it? And you'll be there with your friends. You step out. You get some petrol at the petrol station. Even the petrol attendant knows your name. That's because you've got to take your name tag off. Uh, but remember to take it off and put it on. But it just feels so good. And then you'll just go through the blues of some kind. Well. Can I suggest to you that this week has all been about life and eternal life, and not just this week.
And as we've already prayed, the, the possibilities are that we're going to forget things. And so can I encourage you at the, from the get-go is to start small. It begins when you enter the door of wherever you live, whether it's in a share house or your home and you meet your parents or siblings and they start to niggle you and you start to think, ah, and, and you've got to think through how can I patiently love them in that context. Even, you know, Emptying the dishwasher. Why don't you even volunteer to wash up at home? Wouldn't that be grand? They'll be thinking, you should go to these conferences more. Whatever it is, start small in thinking through the, the loving, godly things you can do in your homes. As you go on holidays next week, whatever it is, keep thinking through those things. Because as we come to this text of Scripture, please note that God is leading us toward the end of having all things summed up in Christ, but in so doing, he is also leading us through a war. And it's a dirty war. A war that involves evil. Now just with the person next to you, share with them what comes to mind when you think first things, okay? First thoughts. So it's only 15 seconds stuff. First thought to come to your mind when you think of the word evil. Go. First thoughts. Okay, that's enough. That's just first thoughts. I'm after first thoughts. I'm not after a, an essay now. Okay. Share. What first thoughts came to your mind with evil? Yes. Uh, Mordor. Mordor. Exactly. Mordor. Black cloud. Yes. Mordor. Yes. Violence. Violence. Yes. Malice. Sorry? Hitler. Hitler. Malice. Malice. Death. Death. Yeah. No one said Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> The, the emperor, that's right, that's right. And he who shall not be named, I'm amazed that you didn't mention the name of the one who should not be named. I sometimes wonder whether our minds turn to these pathetic and fictional figures of evil sometimes because the reality is too hard to stomach. We did mention some realities, didn't we, like death and malice. But there is real evil in this world, isn't there? Henry Van Breda, aged 23, was recently found guilty of murdering his parents by an axe murder. He murdered his parents and his brother in 2015 in South Africa. But they had lived in Perth for a while. There's been deadly sarin gas used in Syria, which has killed hundreds and hundreds of people. It's a nerve agent that, that just causes the body to collapse and it forces the body muscles into overdrive, leading to convulsions, loss of breathing, death. Now, this is in March this year, but it just kind of goes over our heads, doesn't it? 22, at least, school shootings in the United States. 22. That's just this year. And over the years, I've had to speak into situations involving slander, Greed and betrayal. I've had to speak into marriages which have involved adultery, and sadly divorce, domestic violence and child abuse. 
I know of situations in which people have been accused in ministry of child pornography, deceit, the list goes on and on and on. And each of these cases, anger has justly been expressed against the guilty parties concerned and forgiveness cannot come cheaply. And in our world, we actually experience evil daily on our TV screens and even around about us. But Paul says it's even more, more palpable than that. I turn to the... Your outline's there and page 21, which Kate read for us. And page 21, if you look at that small 12, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, against the backdrop of God creating a whole new humanity for himself in Christ, against the backdrop of playing our part in this one body, against this backdrop of our walk with God and aligning our decisions with his will, God is leading us through a war. And it's a dirty war. We're engaged in spiritual war, not against humans, but against the devil himself and his angels. And they have power and authority over darkness. They are evil and they have schemes. Note, verse 11, schemes. And they are thought out strategies. Strategies against the people of God. Please remember who the real enemy is. When was the last time you thought seriously about the devil? He's real. He, together with his agents, they are real. He was defeated when Jesus died and rose again. But he still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour by believing his lies. So how do we engage with this supernatural evil? Well, first we engage this evil note in the Lord's strength. Verse 10, the Lord's strength. Finally, at the first verse there, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Note, Our strength to engage can only be fueled by the strength of Jesus. But how can we be strengthened by the strength of Jesus? How do we engage with his strength, his might? Well, Paul himself engaged with the powers and principalities. We actually brushed over it a little bit, but if you turn back to Page 17, page 17, we're going to look at verse chapter 3, so it's in the first half in verse 7, verse 7. Look how Paul engaged with these evil authorities and rulers. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light 
for everything. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. See? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is the way Paul engaged evil, the rulers and authorities, in the Lord's strength was by preaching his powerful gospel. It was by proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is as we proclaim and bear the fruit of the gospel, the momentous news that Jesus is Lord because of his death and resurrection, that we can be strong in his might. Be strong in the might of Jesus. The gospel news of Jesus is not just a tool to share. It is the power of God that saves people from hell, that transforms lives supernaturally. And it fuels our strength to engage with overwhelming supernatural evil. But we have a greater weapon. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We engage evil in the Lord's strength by relying on his powerful gospel. Secondly, we engage evil as we stand firm in the whole armor of God. Verse 11. Back on page 21, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We engage evil as we stand firm in the whole armor of God. Although it is the Lord's strength that empowers us by his gospel, we're not passive creatures. We're called upon to wrestle, verse 12, with our supernatural enemies by standing firm in this gospel. One of the so-called sports that I grew up with as a kid was watching Wrestling. Anybody seen that? Anybody like wrestling? Yeah, about two and a half of us. <laughs> well, there's actually four of us. Five, if you include me. We, we actually watch wrestling and we enjoy watching wrestling. But the kind of wrestling was not just the Olympic wrestling where they kind of, you know, it looks a bit messy. It was rock and roll wrestling. You know, they were the big guys and they kind of acted it out a little bit and you get big titles like Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. You know, Andre the Giant was the giant in The Princess Bride. Yeah, he was a, a rock and roll wrestler. He was a big dude, yeah? And they actually, and you know, these guys would come up and kind of punch him and he'd just stand there, like, boom, and take it all in, right? Absorb their shock, as it were, because it wasn't a shock. The guy was big. He was Andre the Giant, right? That's the image that is here of, of wrestling, but it's, it's even, perhaps an even better version of that is sumo wrestling. Anybody seen that? Anybody like sumo wrestling? Anybody? Yeah, the same person who likes rock and roll wrestling, Matthew Meek up the back there. That's, he knows lots of moves, not just moonwalking, he knows how to sumo wrestle as well. 
In this sumo wrestling, those guys are there in their oversized nappies, yeah? And they stand there and they do their, you know, kind of bomb, bomb, and then they stand there. My son actually has a, 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 a calendar with all these sumo wrestlers. <laughs> and it's all these different versions. They go, go, and, and he's just there. And what, they, what do they do? They come up and they smash each other. But their, their whole idea, their strategy is to stand firm, not to be knocked out of the circle. Their objective is to be strong and stable and firm. Now that's the metaphor that's being used here. It's wrestling. Wrestling as we stand firm. But, but Paul mixes his metaphors throughout this letter. The idea is the same though. You see, we're not to be wobbly Christians in the ocean. Nor in wrestling when it comes to deceitful schemes. We are to stand firm as every deceitful assault comes our way. Do you remember back in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul described Christ's apostolic mission through Israel to the nations? Jesus, by his Spirit, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the early Jewish Christian community for ministry. That was all in the book of Acts at Pentecost. And they were to build the body of Christ in gospel unity. And until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus. That's so that we do not get tossed to and fro by every wind of deceitful schemes. We're not to be wobbly Christians. Because the way to counter the death wobbles is to speak the truth of Christ in love. It's the gospel. Learning and applying the truth of Christ and his gospel, being filled with his spirit, the spirit of Christ. And of course, this truth of the gospel is not just to remain head knowledge. As we've seen it applied in the last couple of nights, the gospel is applied as we stand firm against sin, as we speak the truth in love, as we work towards having no hint, no hint of sexual immorality in our lives, as we walk in love, as we walk as children of light, as we walk in wisdom, being filled with the spirit of Christ, submitting to one another and all those relationships that we talked about last night. And all this is, is war, says Paul. We are on war alert. It's wartime. We are armed. We are vigilant. We spend money differently. We all cut back. The luxury cruise ship becomes the troops carrier. The five-star hotel becomes the army headquarters. And everyone is thinking of the troops on the front line. Right? In the war metaphor of chapter 6, this means putting on the full armor of God. But please note it is the armor of God. It's not our armor. It's not the armor that we create like Iron Man. It's God's armor that can withstand the insults of supernatural evil. It's God's armor in his strength. And what is God's armor that we are to put on? Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes on for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You see what it's all there? Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
Have you noticed that all the pieces of armor have to do with the gospel of Jesus somehow? The belt of truth is the truth of the gospel. If you look back at chapter 1 verse 13 and chapter 4 verse 21, that's truth in Christ, the truth of the gospel. The breastplate of righteousness, that's right standing before God because of his gospel. That God declares us righteous. Shoes, readiness given by the gospel of peace that you'll read about in Isaiah 52 and verse 7. A shield of faith that's trusting in the promises of the gospel. The helmet of salvation is what the gospel gives us. Salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the gospel word of God. Remember, it's the only offensive weapon in our weaponry against the evil one. And that's why in Jesus weeks, our prayer is that we all proclaim this mighty gospel through his word in public and in private. It is the sword of the Spirit, the gospel word. You see, Ephesians 6, though, is an all-of-life thing. It's not just a mission week thing. It's an all-of-life thing. All of life will involve struggle and hardship against the very real and wicked schemes of the devil and his angels. It's a guy named William Gurnall, who was a pastor in 1655. He wrote these words. In heaven... We shall appear not in armour, but in robes of glory. But here, the armour is to be worn night and day. And we must walk, we must work and sleep in our armour, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. It's in everything, isn't it? Can I suggest to you, in the way you drive your car from this conference, you are at war. Driving at the speed limit. Not getting so cranky at the driver who kind of just cuts it in front of you. As they do that, just think, oh, praise God. <laughs> He's in control. Maybe they're about to have a baby. Think the best of the situation it could be. Even though they come out the door, start smashing on the window, and think, oh, that's nice. He's tapping on the window. you know. But it's, it's war, isn't it? It's actually war. And we've got to engage everything by the gospel to think God's thoughts after him. The way we are to engage with the devil and his angels is by proclaiming and bearing the fruit of his gospel, the true gospel. So please don't assume the gospel, will you? If you're engaged in teaching Sunday school children, no matter how old they are, from creche all the way through to university stage of life with Bible studies where you're at, if you're teaching the gospel to each generation... Make sure it's the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And make sure you do teach it to every generation. I was told when I went through university, and so I tell you because it's so true, that what is taught in the first generation can be assumed in the second generation before it's forgotten in the third generation and ultimately denied in the fourth generation. And if all that happens through the generation, the generation that is at fault is actually the second generation that assumes the gospel and doesn't teach it to the next generation. And if you speak to the senior staff have been around long enough, we've been involved in enough conferences and certainly some of us in international conferences to know that you see the gospel just gets lost in the process. And so they start to talk about the gospel as if the gospel is social justice. And so therefore gospeling is all about saving the environment. Or gospeling is about 
righting wrongs or gospeling. That's not gospeling. The gospel is about Jesus, his death and resurrection, that he is Lord. And it's proclaiming that news, which will bring about those implications, the fruit of the gospel, as we heard in question time last night, if you were here. But that blurring starts to take place because they've assumed what the gospel is. I remember even going in a group of very senior figures, and we had to look at this topic of communicating the gospel and they are, and I said you know, to the group, maybe we should talk about what the gospel is. And they all got offended. Because, they, no, 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 we all know what the gospel is. And I said, okay, well, let's share it. And they said, no, we can't. Because they knew we were going to get into an argument as to what the gospel is. Isn't that sad? If someone comes up to you and asks you what the gospel is, who's a Christian brother and sister, praise God. That's a wonderful thing. We should delight in sharing what the gospel is with each other. So don't ever, ever assume what it is, will you? As we live gospel lives and proclaim the message of Jesus, we make known the manifold wisdom of God in Christ to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We engage with the enemy in God's strength, uniting Jew and Gentile under the headship of Jesus. And undergirding all this armory is praying. No. Praying in the Spirit, verse 18. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. We'll learn more about that when he asks. But note, if the sword of the Spirit is the gospel word of God, then to pray in the Spirit is to pray in accordance with that word of the gospel. In all our prayers, at all times, for all our fellow brothers and sisters. See, prayer is not another piece of armory. Prayer undergirds the armory. So let's fight the wicked schemes of the devil in proclaiming the gospel, in bearing the fruit of the gospel, and in prayer. Praying for our fellow brothers and sisters on other campuses, in other parts of the world regularly. Praying in our faculty groups, in our Bible talks, in our prayer boards and one-to-one. We've been doing that all week and I pray that it will continue. Just stop and, and pray. Dave, who was with us through the week, he was a great prayer. He's the kind of person who would talk to us and say, let's pray straight away. And I remember he was set the model of praying all the time. I even remember walking across the street and then he said, oh, let's pray about that. And we stopped in the middle of the street. Going, you know, There's a car coming, Dave. There's a car coming. And oh, let's pray. It was just in the middle. And he said, that's okay. Cars are coming. We'll just be in the middle and, and pray it. And then we just shoot off again. But he's a great prayer. You just pray instantly. And some, you know, it always feels a bit awkward, doesn't it, when you say, oh, let's pray about that. And it's, oh, no, in fact, you, you normally say, or I normally say, I'll pray about that, walk off, and I never do it because I forget. So the best thing to do is to pray there and then with the person who's there. It might feel a bit awkward at first, but then you actually get into it, and then you pray, and you think, oh, wasn't that great? I actually prayed. Right. So let's break out in this prayer spontaneously, instinctive prayer all over the campuses, in your homes, with your friends, with your youth group kids, with your Sunday school children, with each other on campus. Just stop, talk, pray. Pray immediately. Paul himself asks for prayer, doesn't he? And he's asking for prayer whilst he is in prison. Instead of asking for release, 
What does he ask prayer for? Verse 19, and also for me, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly so I ought to speak. He longs to encourage their hearts. But what he wants, first and foremost, is their prayer for him to preach the gospel boldly. He's in prison and instead of asking for release, he's asking for boldness to preach the gospel whilst in prison. And finally, Paul ends his letter to assure the Ephesian Christians. He writes in the last paragraph, beginning at verse 21, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. He longs to encourage their hearts with news of his spiritual welfare and to persevere in their pure love for Jesus by his grace. See, Paul found his way in Jesus, in the gospel word of Jesus. And he encouraged the Ephesians to find their way with incorruptible love in Jesus. In Jesus. Have you found your way? Can I ask you again, do you know the God who leads you as your own sovereign loving father is he your father if you've come to the end of this week and you're still not sure can you please find out more ask why why is that not the case is it because you don't believe it's true is it because these gospel events don't mean anything to you or is it simply because there is a particular sin that is stopping you what is it Please talk to someone about that. Do you know God as your loving, sovereign Father? And if you do know God as your loving, sovereign Father, are you delighted in where he is leading you? To a new creation where we will be all part of a whole new humanity united in Christ. And have you found your way in being content with the fact that obsessing about your future, the specific plan for your future, is not how God wants us to live? Because showing us our specific future is not God's ordinary way. Are you content with that? Because his ordinary way is to speak to us in these last days by his son, through his spirit, in his all-sufficient, powerful scriptures that point to Jesus. And what is clear in the scriptures is that the apostolic mission through Israel to the nations in which he leads us to walk in love and walk in light and walk in wisdom, aligning ourselves with his will in this humanity, is what it's about until we reach the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we have all the principles in his word to make any decision. And within that, we can grow, can't we? We can set 
a goal, we can work out a goal in line with the ultimate will of God. We can work out with the reality where we are now, outside of Christ or in Christ. We can work out what the options are before us, and those options start to narrow down when we keep on focusing on what that goal is, and then we work out what now. And, and within all of that framework, knowing these things, we can take risks because God doesn't take any risks. And as it were, step out in faith in God who controls all things. But that's nerve-wracking, isn't it? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do beyond uni? What if I actually do give up that job and start an apprenticeship? What then? Now, sometimes it's like uh, another friend of mine described it this way. He goes to... Uh, What's that place in Canberra which everybody goes to with all those funky games and things? Questacon. He goes to Questacon. And apparently there's this place where you stand up on a pole and you kind of wear these overalls and you have this free fall for a couple of metres or so. Yeah, Has anybody done that? Hands up, you've done that? Yeah. You know what my friend says? Sometimes decision-making is a bit like that. You do all these things, right? You look at the Word of God, it's all sufficient, and if you worked out the principles, and then you work out, yeah, I'm going to do this, it's just really scary. And it's kind of like standing there waiting for the free fall to happen. You make a decision, and it's like the release. And then for the first meter or so, it's total nightmare, right? Your heart's in your mouth, and there might be stuff outside of your mouth everywhere else as well. And it's just coming down. That's why you wear overalls, by the way. It's not because of the other stuff. And it's going to feel like, ah, it's all crazy. And suddenly you slide down, and think, oh. That was all right. Let's do it again, you know. I think that's a bit like the decision-making world. Especially if it's, you know, seemingly big. But in the end, it's all about if you know that it's a loving decision within that framework that you've sought counsel, you've you've prayerfully scoured the word of God, you've sought godly counsel, and you, you've decided this way because of grow, and you work out the what now is that, it's going to feel like that no matter what decision it is. But if it's loving, it's kind of, you'll have a nice, comfortable landing eventually. Trusting in God and his ways. Because he's leading us through this dirty war against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms in his strength, with his armor, until he takes us home or until Jesus returns. He's got your back. No matter what happens, he's got your back. For no power of hell, no scheme of man or scheme of the devil can ever pluck us from his hand till he returns or take us home. Here in the love of Christ, we Stand. We stand. So dear brothers and sisters, stand firm in God's strength, in God's armour, into eternity for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Christ alone we can take our stand with his gospel in his strength by his spirit 
as we bathe in your all-sufficient word and live accordingly for your pleasure. Whatever decisions we make, please help us to make them in accordance with your word and to trust you. And we pray that as we engage with evil, that we will stand in your armour and that we will not forget the things we've learnt this week, but rather live for your pleasure. Repent in those areas that we know we need to for your sake, knowing that your way is always, always the best way to live. So until you take us home or until Jesus returns, keep us looking to him with joy. And we pray this all for his sake. Amen.